Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum and I am frazzled. Thank you for joining me for Disaffected on the Road, the show where we talk about stupid medical professionals and my family's problems through a snarkological lens. <laughs> All right, so why am I coming to you unshaven? Again, no suit jacket, because I'm a complete liar. You're never going to believe anything I say ever again. Well, my family had a medical emergency this week, so this is going to be a short one and a little bit of a disorganized one. The emergency is going to be fine. I will tell you all about it because <clears throat> I don't want you to worry. <laughs> this week, my sister nearly died of meningitis. She is recovering right now. I have visited her in the hospital twice. I'm not ready to let my guard down, but it does appear that she's going to get through this, um, this acute emergency. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her condition to set up what I'm going to tell you about my sister's experience at the hospital. So my sister's 42 years old and has so many chronic medical problems that you would think she was somebody significantly older. Like many children who come from families like ours, particularly girl children, <clears throat> my sister has a severe autoimmune disorder that looks sometimes like MS, sometimes it looks like Parkinson's disease, uh, sometimes it looks like other diseases that you've heard of, but nobody can figure out exactly what it is. They think they have figured out what it is now. Um, but for your purposes, what all you need to know is that her immune system is severely compromised and it has affected her ability to walk, um, to stay awake long enough to uh, practice her art, uh, and her sculpture, and it's and it's extraordinarily painful. Um, much of the nerve problems that she deals with uh, put her in the kind of pain that I would not be able to tolerate. And this is sadly common of uh, with kids who come from abusive homes like we do. My younger brother also has an autoimmune condition. It's less severe than my sister's. I, of course, had early onset heart disease and a heart attack at 36. Yes, of course, there's a genetic component to everything that happens to us, but there is also an environmental component. And you cannot help but notice, if you pay attention, if you take a look, you can't help but notice among younger people like us who have these diseases that we think of as old people having correlates really strongly with severe and lasting child abuse. This is a known outcome. So this isn't really a surprise. But I, I texted my sister this week just to see how she was doing. And she said, I'm in the hospital. And then I couldn't get her to answer me or give me any more text. So I called my brother-in-law and she's in the hospital for what they thought was viral meningitis. They, they're still not sure what kind of meningitis it was. But for those of you who aren't that familiar, um, it's, it's an infection. It's a swelling of the spinal cord. And in my sister's case, um, the brain, her brain was severely swollen and she almost died. No, thanks to the emergency room. I'm going to preface what I'm going to say about this by acknowledging that everybody on the floors above the emergency room, which is on the ground floor has been wonderful. The doctors the nurses particularly. Um, I've been there for a couple of days now. I, I watch what they do. They're good people. 
Uh, they're on top of it. Really good care. And I'm very grateful. And I know my sister is too. However, not the emergency department. You know what? Let me show you this first. I want to show you some of the things that adorn the walls of the Cayuga Medical Center here in Ithaca, New York. <sighs> okay. No, oh, of course I have a screen open, but um, Zoom won't uh, won't show the screen that I have ready as as shareable. So I'm going to pause this for a moment and get right back to you. Okay, we're back. Let's see if this works now. All right. Doodly do. All right. So take a look at your screen here. And I will read it for those of you on audio. This is a plaque behind Perspex on the wall that says, Our Commitment to You. Cayuga Health System commits to treat all people with dignity so that everyone who comes to us feels safe, cared for, and respected. We will support the growth of our employees and the health of our community by embracing the rich diversity of social and cultural identities, needs, and life circumstances of all people. We strive to recognize and overcome personal biases and systemic policies that marginalize others and contribute to disparities in healthcare access, equitable care, and good health outcomes. Do you now? Do you? It enrich the health of the community? Are you going to strive to overcome your systemic policies that bring disparities? What systemic policies? Cayuga Medical Center, tell me what your, what your systemic policies are. Which are your racist policies? Which are your transphobic policies? Which are your anti-poor people policies? And why, why are they there? Why do you have those policies? Why do you have to strive to overcome them? Because you're bullshitting everybody and you're blowing smoke up your own ass to look like paragons of morality. That's why. Because you're full of shit. How do I know you're full of shit? Because nobody says anything like that who isn't full of shit. Let's see what else you're telling people on your walls. I can go back to sharing my screen with you. Look at this. It looks like a World War II. It looks like a cross between a U.S. World War II Rosie the Riveter style propaganda campaign and actual Soviet propaganda. We've got three nurses and they're all women, except you know that the one on the left is supposed to be non-binary because she has a short haircut that is also stupid and shaved up one half side of her head. They're all looking with that smug arrogant look on their face off into the distance and on a slant we've got this text healthcare heroes we honor you we thank you exclamation point give me a break who does this who promotes themselves themselves like this no no no, no, it's not the management at the hospital trying to give a thank you to the nursing staff. It has nothing to do with that. It is the management at the hospital trying to look 
extra good. Look at the good I do. Look at the heroes we are. This is so vainglorious. So this, this is only, this is the second thing I see when I walk into the hospital. The first thing I encounter, of course, are the 20-year-old young women at the visitor's desk who give you the little sticker to put on your, your shirt, who are still being instructed, of course, it's not their fault, but they're still being instructed to play COVID theater. So everybody who comes into the hospital has to wear a mask. I, I said a year and a half ago on this show, that this shit is never going to end, that we're never going to see the end of the plexiglass dividers that are now at banks and grocery stores and between you and your dentist's office. And, and I was right. Of course I was right because we still haven't seen the end of it. Nobody's taken them down in my area. Maybe in yours they have. And I know that th this gets overlooked by people and even some of you watching probably have a little bit of a, Oh, that's just normal. It's a hospital. No, it's not. No, it's not normal just because it's a hospital. Everyone who comes in has to wear a paper mask. Why? Because COVID, right? No, no. Why? We know that paper masks don't protect people from respiratory viruses. We know that they don't filter them out. They never did have that capacity. They didn't have that capacity during the alleged pandemic. And they don't have that capacity now. But now it's just normal for a hospital. I mean, it's a hospital, so you can understand, right? You can understand that. No, I can't understand that because it's stupid. These are the people making decisions at hospitals that we are supposed to trust our medical professionals who know scientific medical facts about what is contagious and what isn't. And we're supposed to trust them to diagnose a variety of ailments and to treat those ailments. How am I going to trust an institution that now has an everybody wears masks all the time policy, which don't do anything, and we're simply pulled out of somebody's ass and from the portfolio of Kimberly Clark paper products? because our CDC and the goddamn White House decided that we needed to all have a visible symbol of what we were doing to care for our community. I don't trust these people. And it's no good telling me that they know too, because I already know that they know. I already know they know it doesn't do anything. They know it, and yet they continue doing it. That's even worse. None of these doctors, none of them have enough clout or enough pull to get some of their colleagues together and say, stop this nonsense. No, it's that no one has because no one has the courage. That's what I think. And of course, once we get into the room, as soon as I got into my sister's room, uh, yes, yes, I know. I hear you. I hear you. But your sister has an autoimmune condition. Yes, she does. That's right. And my paper mask won't make a difference for that. It never did make a difference. There was never a time when people with autoimmune diseases were protected by other people wearing masks over their nose. That was never real. And it's not real now. 
Okay. So my sister's not wearing a mask. I take my mask off. Nobody says anything. We've got nurses and doctors coming in and out all the time. They're all wonderful, by the way. Again, no problem with these people. I love them. Uh, and yes, I thanked them for their good care of my sister. They don't care about this. They know they're wearing their masks because they're told to. I understand that. But this is this is theater. As I came in this morning, I'm getting ready to go up to see my sister and I have to stop at the visitor's desk. And the young woman says to me, well, I think that she says to me, um, what is your name? So I keep spelling my name. She's looking on a, on a thing. She can't find my name. I'm not quite sure what she's looking for because why would they have my name? I'm a visitor. This goes on for about a minute and 30 seconds while she's consulting with her colleague. And then she says, wait, what room is the patient in? I told her the room. Oh, oh, oh. So what's going on here is I can't hear what she said because she's speaking to me through a mask. She's speaking through a mask. Mm -hmm. I thought she was asking for my name and she was asking for my sister. So it, I know, small annoyance, but small annoyances add up. This is pointless. And then, okay, just a second. We're going to temperature check. We're going to temperature check. Oh. Where is that? Where is that? Okay. Okay, you're all set. What was that, a magic wand? Did it say that my temperature was within a degree of normal? <laughs> Seriously, you people are the medical establishment. You, we're supposed to trust you. What a joke. So let's talk about the emergency room. My sister woke up earlier this week, unable to speak, unable to move, awake, frightened. And my brother-in-law turns over in bed and what's wrong with you? And she can't really get anything out. Should I call 911? Yes. Call 911. By the time she gets to the hospital, she's in full delirium because her brain has swollen. She has meningitis. So she cannot think clearly. She does not know where she is. She proceeds to take her clothes off um, and talk nonsense at people. Um, and the only sensible thing she could do was beg for help because the pain in her head was so severe. And my sister has dealt with a lot of severe pain far beyond anything I've ever experienced. I can't imagine how, how awful this was for her. And the staff are observing this. Do you know how long they kept her in the emergency room, sitting in chairs, not being treated? 11 hours, 11 hours, during which she almost died. She was in very bad shape by the time they started taking care of her and pushing IV fluids because she was dehydrated. Why did they keep her for 11 hours? Ah, I hear triage, right? Right, it's triage. No, it wasn't just triage. They said that she was a presumptive barbiturate case. That's drugs, heavy tranquilizers, barbiturates. 
presumptive barbiturate. So she was either drug seeking or she was on drugs. Mm -hmm. Now, what you need to understand about Cayuga Medical Center in Ithaca, New York, is that it's part of a comprehensive local hospital system, which means they have a computerized chart and records sharing network. My sister has so many doctors. She has a neurologist. She has a rheumatologist. She has a general practitioner. She has nurses' aides. It's a whole panoply. And she's been being treated in this system for at least 15 years. My sister's life is all about medical appointments. That means that there's a huge, huge record of her diagnoses and her hospitalizations right at their fingertips, right in the emergency room, right there at their desk. All they have to do is push that button. Anybody check her chart? No, no, they didn't. Her husband was there, my brother-in-law, begging them to help, telling them, please check the chart. My wife is not a drug addict. She is not drug seeking. She is a neurology patient. She has critical diseases. She has met, my brother-in-law, you wanna talk about don't, don't diagnose? My brother-in-law diagnosed meningitis just based on her symptoms and he was right. He was right because he understands my sister's medical case. He understands the things to look for and not to look for. And he knew that a medication she'd been on recently, that one of the possible outcomes of this important medication was, in fact, making you susceptible uh, to things like this. And it might even provoke the drug-induced meningitis. So that, that may have been what was happening. It was a very good diagnosis, and it turned out to be correct, most of it. They wouldn't listen. I tr I'm trying to give the benefit of the doubt, understanding that emergency room staff see trauma every single day, gunshots, broken limbs, severe beatings, car accidents. They have to think quickly and they have to rely on this bank of medical knowledge and experience and they have to make snap decisions because they're life and death. They have a difficult job. It's never gonna be an easy job and they're never gonna be perfect. Um, and, you know, if this, if it were a case of, of, of real actual triage, there wouldn't be anything to say about it because yeah, there could have been people ahead of my sister who were literally bleeding out and would die within two minutes if they didn't get sutures, but not for 11 hours. That's, that's just not what happened. So trying to give the benefit of the doubt and then thinking, how many people do they see? in their ward every day who are drug seekers, who are strung out, tons of them, we know this. This is one of the consequences of institutional, of em emptying out the institutions, the deinstitutionalization of the mentally ill and the criminally insane that happened in the 1980s and, and dumped them on the street, which we called care in the community. Ha, ha, ha. <clears throat> okay, I understand that. I understand that that a doctor or nurse in the ER does not want to collude or collaborate with a drug seeker. They don't want to help keep this person addicted to something. They don't want their system used by someone who actually needs help to dry out. Absolutely fine. But I ask you this, weigh out 
the consequences of a choice like this. Is it better or worse to make sure that you never unwittingly give a drug addict a little bit of oxycodone? Is the price for that worth letting somebody die of misdiagnosing, of, of being so one-track minded that you cannot see a woman in front of you, a 42-year-old mother who is obviously not living out on the streets, is obviously not a mess. You see a 42-year-old mother in that kind of pain, delirious, taking her clothes off, and you have her husband there, not her baby daddy, not some pimp off the street like you get with the other fuckers here in Ithaca who show up in there because the city is absolutely crime-ridden. And he's telling you that he knows her medical history. He's telling you that her chart is in there, that you can see who her doctors are, that you know these doctors, you talk to them, and they won't listen. Was it worth it? How many people are dying because of this? Because it is so evil to make a mistake. We don't want to make the mistake of giving one morphine-derived drug to one drug addict. That would be worse. So let a thousand innocent people die because we're suspicious of them. So this is very frustrating. It makes me very angry. Maybe there's more to the story, but I doubt it. I've heard these tales for years now coming out of my family. You have no idea. Well, some of you do actually. The idea how hard my sister and her husband have had to work to get my sister's condition taken care of. She's basically in the position of having an orphan disease. I'm not even going to get into the details um, because it's boring. Uh, but she has a condition, one of her conditions that seems to be driving <clears throat> most of her neurological problems is so rare that there's only one or two places in the United States where they have a doctor on staff who under who has even heard of the disease, let alone understands it. Um, and that 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 doctor is not here here in Ithaca. So um, that's always going to be a problem for people with orphan diseases. There's not enough uh, research out there. But come on, folks. So. Uh, and it, you know, as I was sitting and waiting for, uh, waiting for the nurses to help my sister go to the bathroom, uh, get a sponge bath, you know, I was waiting outside to give her some privacy. I'm sitting um, in front of the nurse's station, just knitting a little bit, looking at my phone. And of course, listening to the chatter um, from, from the nurses as one does. And... <laughs> <laughs> again great people not dunking on them but this is another illustration of why i have such a hard time trusting so-called medical professionals now so they're taught these two men and woman two nurses are talking about their diets they're talking about wanting to lose weight um but you know, fighting the urge to eat all the delicious summer foods. It's August now. The sweet corn is coming out. And the sweet corn from around this part of the middle of New York State, upstate rural New York, is, is really good sweet corn. And they're just doing the banter. And they're like, oh, and I had two cobs last night. And I felt so bad. And da 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 And 
the whole time they're talking about, well, the one nurse says, I know I shouldn't, and I know I'm not going to lose weight, and I know it's bad for my for my cholesterol, but oh, I just love the butter and salt so much. I know it's terrible for me. And they go on in this vein, and they keep, um, and all the things that they love so much, but that they know are hurting them are things like butter, beef, bacon. There was a, a whole three-minute disquisition on bacon and how much they wanted it, but how much they weren't going to allow themselves to have it because it is so bad for them and clogs their arteries. This is all bullshit, you guys. It's all bullshit. It was never true. It's not true now. It's not ever going to be true. The sweet corn. If you're going to look at one sin on that plate, the sweet corn is the sin, not the salt and not the butter. Why is the sweet corn the sin? Sweet is a clue sugar but even if it weren't sweet corn what if it were savory corn and potatoes aren't sweet are they no but they are carbohydrates and carbohydrates are sugar sugar carbs carbs sugar they are not different we know now that carbohydrates the excess of carbohydrates in the american and western diet is responsible for our glut of obesity Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Not butter, not fat. We had the whole low fat craze that started in the 1980s. And, and we still, 40 years later, we are still seeing shit in the dairy case that's like fat-free cottage cheese, low fat, this or that, fat-free half and half. Take all the good stuff, all the nutritious, because fat is good for you. Actual natural fat, animal fat, dairy fat, fat from lard all very good for you, as is bacon, including the fat. That this, this is the stuff that they take out and replace with sugar to make it taste palatable. It's, 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 it's insane. It's insane. So these two nurses are going on and on like this. And you know, I'm just thinking to myself, if these are the people who are involved in the medical system every day, and clearly they still believe the outdated and false alleged science that fat makes you fat and animals and beef and bacon particularly. There's almost, there's almost a magical spell on beef and bacon. People lose their bloody minds over this. You, you mentioned bacon and they treat it like not only is it really bad for you, but it's like the thing that is the worst for you. It is perverse. There's literally nothing wrong with bacon. If you had a half a pound of bacon for breakfast, that is a great breakfast. Why? Because the animal fat is not coating your arteries. It's not shooting your cholesterol up. Your cholesterol is probably not the direct reason why you have heart disease anyway. It's very complicated. It doesn't spike your, um, your blood sugar, so it doesn't get your insulin out of control. It's wonderful stuff. And this is the stuff there. Why? What are we supposed to... Why are we supposed to trust them? It's like, I don't know if I, I don't remember if I've told you this story before. Um, I'll, I'll do it really quickly. The same thing happened to me when I had my heart attack um, when I was 36. I had this great care. I had wonderful care that um, it's surgery, but it's, they don't cut you open. They, you know, they, they roto rooter you. They put shit up your arterial system. <laughs> <laughs> and then they stick some shit in there to keep it open. I don't remember what it's called. Uh, all that was great. They saved my life. Um, it, 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 Hosanna, right? 
but the rehab afterwards the only good part was the was the diet the uh, no not the diet the um the exercise regimen because the diet they put me on this cardiac diet was nothing but lots and lots of whole grains grains carbohydrates and remember that carbohydrates are sugar um lean meat skinless boneless chicken breast and only a little bit of it and and you know rarely ever touch beef what is it with people in beef how did we get this idea you can literally take six ounces of beef and put six ounces of chicken next to it okay you can measure you can tell a person we've measured this six ounce portion of beef has five grams of saturated fat and this six ounce portion of chicken also has five grams of saturated fat people will tell you that the beef is bad for you and the chicken is good for you when it literally literally has exactly the same lipid nutritional profile this is magic thinking this is um it's superstitious it's magical they may as well go back to the four humors for god's sake that's that's what it is you know i was thinking about that on the on the way back from the hospital and i thought to myself this is how this stuff goes. I mean, you guys know that I like um, late Middle Ages and early Renaissance, early modern England, um, the Tudor court, the politics of the church. And the time. I, I love studying that time period as an amateur. And of course, they were still relying on Galen's theory of the humors, the four humors that were out of balance. What is it? Blood, bile, phlegm, and blood, bile, phlegm. Now I can't remember the fourth humor. Well, it doesn't matter anyway, because it's all made up. But that's what they thought. They, um, and they didn't know any better. They didn't have access to microscopes. They didn't have the intellectual paradigm to make the leap to think maybe there are actually teeny teeny tiny little animal like things that we now know as of as as microbes and germs they just hadn't gotten there but this one but i thought about that too what do you think about this i don't believe that during the hundreds to thousands of years that people believed that kind of nonsense like humoral theory i don't believe that no one that no men or women in that period ever had a suspicion that, that that was bunk. I am certain that many of them did. And I would put good money on a bet that at least one person and very likely more than one man or woman probably privately hypothesized that there might be, they might've thought of it as a factor, an unnamed factor, um, but that something physical something chemical, something small was going on that was introducing a substance into the body that the body was reacting to this way. I'm sure that somebody had a proto-germ theory idea. But if that's true, then what could they say? Can you imagine how they would have been received going up against, I mean, the, 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 Physicians to the kings and queens themselves were Galenists, humoralists. I'm not sure if that's a word. They're not allowed to say those things. Nothing's different today in 2022. Not a thing. This is exactly the same. We, you, you got these people out here 
They know this. Even NPR, that propaganda outlet, even NPR ran a story within the past couple of years showing the story of the fact that the sugar industry, yes, big sugar, funded studies in the 1960s to pin the blame for heart disease and cardiac trouble on saturated fat, animal fat, and cholesterol when they knew, they knew it was sugar. They knew it was carbohydrates and sugar. I think the guy who did this was Ansel Keys, was one of the scientists who came up with the uh, the lipid hypothesis. Um, and I suspect he knew better too. Um, and they won. They won. That became scientific dogma. It became medical dogma. It is still medical dogma. 40, 60 years later, even though even the liberalist of the liberal press, NPR, acknowledges that it isn't true, it's still the truth. So don't wonder, I suppose, why smart, intelligent, dedicated people will not stick their nose up and say, I'm not wearing a mask anymore. This is nonsense. I can imagine the frustration of medical professionals out there who know this stuff is true and can't say anything because they know not only will they not be listened to, but they will instantly instantly begin the process of um, having their colleagues in the human resources department start to recharacterize them as a troublemaker or a kook. It's the same thing. This is how people work. We are absolutely no different and have not made one inch of progress in all of these years. We might as well simply go back to talking about the four humors. Okay, one more funny story. Because I'm so just, I don't have any notes for you guys this week. Kevin said, just sit down and let it go and all this stuff. So that's why I'm bitching about my personal life right now. Hopefully it's in some way entertaining to you because I know you come for fresh quality entertainment every week. Ithaca, New York. Okay. You guys have heard me talk about Burlington and I call Burlington mini Seattle. Well, Ithaca's like that too. Oh my God. They have just as many. Um, in this house, we believe that women's rights are human rights. They have that. They've got the uh, houses are decked out in BLM and trans flags. And I've noticed this too. The newest BLM flags are even creepier. Because they've, you know, that power fist symbol, you realize, right, that that's a Marxist and a communist symbol, that that has a history. It, it, it wasn't just something that was made up in, in the late 20th century in the United States. That's literally a Marxist communist thing. Well, it's, it's, it's BLM's logo now. And they're doing the, uh, they're doing candy cottaging with it. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard my episodes where I talk about candy cottaging, that's my term for disguising yourself as someone sweet, gentle, loving, or safe in order to lure the naive in so that you can harm them. And it comes from the, the folklore, Hansel and Gretel. Um, the witch candy cottage, literally. She built a cottage. She built her home out of gingerbread and windows of spun sugar and gumdrops. And so that she looked like this kindly old lady who had a house made out of sweets and the little children coming through, come in there. It's just like the guy sitting in the plane unmarked van, you know, trying to hand out candy to kids. So BLM is candy cottaging now. They're, the newest iteration of their flags has all gone to 
uh, somewhere between pastel and neon colors. So the fist now is in sort of a warm rose color and there's little hearts, hearts, all rainbow hearts everywhere with this fist, right? That, you know, that's striking a blow against the man, but it's a feminine fist and it's, it's really a loving fist. That shit creeps me out. That's what's creepy. It's bad enough what they want to do, and it's bad enough that they get away with it because these people do not want to help anyone. They want power for themselves. But it's infinitely worse when they dress it up in imagery and colors and language that is literally childlike and 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 looks like um looks like a predator's lure for children. So that's Ithaca. But Ithaca is something else. As I'm driving back from the hospital yesterday, I'm looking at a group of three people walking down the street, walking, just walking down the street. They're middle-aged, middle-class white people. You know, they're almost certainly Cornell University faculty, something like that. The one dude is walking down the street wearing a bike helmet. There was nary a bike in sight. He's just wearing a bike helmet. And I confess to you that as I was coming closer, I looked, I thought, oh no, surely not. I thought, <laughs> I thought he was an old school special. <laughs> you know, the guy where he, he's, he's, he has, we're all special. So he's got to have a helmet on because he's always falling down and, and being spastic and he's going to hurt his head. No, no. He's, he's obviously one of the woman's husband and they're just talking along. He's just going along with the bike helmet. <laughs> I said this to a couple of friends and they said, why? Well, obviously safety first, but what safety? I don't know. But isn't he a good boy for being that prepared? I think so. All right, folks. I'm sorry. This was sort of a, uh, a grab bag pick a mix on the road show. I did want to get something out there. Um, so I, I, we really appreciate your loyal viewership. I see so many of you every week who have been here since the beginning and, uh, and new people who have come along and you guys tell me that disaffected is appointment viewing. And that's really flattering. I mean, the fact that people are like, Oh, the show is on. That's the sort of thing I used to think about, you know, when I was a kid, you know, you had to be home for the show because there was no such thing as DVR. And the fact that you guys actually set your phones uh, to come listen to my show or watch my show really makes me and Kevin feel good. So thank you. We'll be back to normal next week, uh, hopefully, unless something even worse happens. And then I'll be making jokes about funeral homes. So until next time, thanks, everybody. Have a great week.